Partika would like to acknowledge and pay respects to the traditional owners of the land we record on, the Wadjuk people. We also acknowledge the role of Aboriginal people as the first scientists in Australia. Welcome to the Particle Podcast, where we talk about science and the people who just love it. I'm your guest host, Zaya Altengirul. We're doing something a little different on this episode. Because today, we're going to be interviewing our very own Rose Kerr. After running the Particle Podcast for well over a year and making over 32 individual episodes, our beloved Rose has decided to go on a brand new adventure all the way over in Sydney. And although we're very sad to see her go, we thought this was a perfect opportunity to sit down for an interview and get to know her a little bit more. So, welcome to the podcast, Rose. Hello. <laughs> How does it feel to be on the <laughs> other side of the microphone? I think it doesn't feel totally real because mm-hmm. I don't have the headphones on, not yes. that you'll know that podcast life, but I'm not wearing the headphones, so mm-hmm. I can't hear myself in the same way that I'm used to hearing myself. Mm-hmm. And it felt really weird not to prepare at all and just walk in here and not know what to expect I suddenly Mm -hmm. understand how scary it must be for the guests to not know what to expect yeah and for me as a person who usually sits on behind the camera yeah it feels really weird to hear your audio like crystal clear (laughs) in the headphones and myself as well so (laughs) this is going to be interesting for both of us um so to start off what do you actually do It's such a weird question because I am about to finish one role and then start another. But Mm -hmm. I'd say I am a podcaster first and then I also dabble in radio and science communication. Podcaster. How do you become a podcaster? (laughs) I mean, anyone can be a podcaster. But like for me, it involved understanding being a broadcaster first I came at it from being a lover of podcasts to then studying radio and tv and then going using those skills and going back into making podcasts and I mean it depends whether you want to define a podcaster by if you just make a podcast you are a podcaster Mm -hmm. but I guess for me it's meant that I've been employed you know for Particle to make the podcast. So it's slightly different, not an independent podcaster. I work for a company making podcasts. Mm -hmm. So now you've been working on the Particle podcast, as I mentioned, for well over a year now. Um, How did you get this job? Yeah, yeah, it's a good question Mm. because it's like the role kind of existed, kind of didn't. Um, I was working in the Science Centre, so Particles are part of SciTech, if people weren't aware, mm-hmm. um, which is the Science Centre, and I used to work in there. At the time, I was working as just a general science communicator, so on the floor, talking to people about the ex- exhibitions and talking to them about science. Then I started doing the puppet shows, and I was doing all of that while I was at uni studying broadcasting, a graduate diploma in broadcasting, and I was in I remember the day like really specifically it was really really quiet and I was walking around the feature exhibition at the time Mm. and Boyd who I mean you know Zaya he (laughs) was in there and I saw him walking around and he looked kind of out of place and I was like what are you doing over here because you work in the office what do you do over here and he was like explaining what he did and then I said oh, I'm studying broadcasting and he happened to sit near the particle team which at the time I think was just 
um, two people and or maybe three and he was like oh I think they're doing something with a podcast you should email this person uh, which was Marlo um, our manager and I emailed Marlo and then I found out that it was around the time Particle was looking to kind of refresh and become a little bit updated for the new year and it just timed out perfectly that when I was finishing university was when they were trying to plan the podcast and then it kind of few things fell into place and all of a sudden I was making it but it just goes to show like the only way to get a job especially in this industry is to talk to people and Mm -hmm. kind of be aware of what everyone's doing constant networking absolutely Mm -hmm. constant networking and so bit of right place bit of right time but definitely got this role thanks to the the qualifications that I had and then the experience I had already doing science communication. So you, you mentioned that before this you were working at SciTech doing science communication stuff. But there's another thing, like a whole different life that you were living before you came to SciTech, right? Yeah. What were you doing before then? Uh, so I used to work in botany really briefly. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, very briefly. I did my trial period of three months before I decided I didn't want to do it anymore. But ever since high school, I've wanted to do biology. I really loved biology at school. And then I found I preferred plants over animals and so which is so rare there's not as many of us but god we really feel it if you're a plant lover like you're like yes why would people study animals uh so i did um, an undergraduate degree in botany and conservation biology and then i did honors in botany after that and i was dead sure I was going to work in environmental consultancy Mm. and I was going to go do field work and I was going to restore landscapes that was the big thing I was into was like restoration ecology Mm. I was like that's the one that I'm going to do I'm going to help look after mine sites all that kind of stuff like after they've been used and kind of try Mm. to make them into natural um, habitat again Uh, but then yeah I started doing it and I was like this isn't for me it just didn't yeah it didn't gel so Mm. I kind of had a huge I think a very early quarter life crisis (laughs) (laughs) so yeah uh, before this definitely just like yeah straight scientist so would you say that the job that you were doing before this was very different to um, what you do now oh yeah oh yeah yeah the um working in botany was a lot more physical Physical. (laughs) well doing like field work is Mm -hmm. so intense I you'd go out into the field and maybe you start sun sunlight right you start sunlight and Mm -hmm. you don't finish till sundown and for the whole day you have to go out to sample the landscape so sometimes you have to drive out one of my friends he actually gets helicoptered out to locations it's insane so you get driven out to locations and then you'll be put in front of like a big area you have to survey depending on there's all different rules about how Mm -hmm. big the survey is but you go to an area and you must figure out every single species that is in that plot of land so it's like you're in the bush and you got to figure out what's in there and you do that by taking a sample and then drying it out yeah. and taking it back to the to offices and then mm. eventually you go and you look up what it was and you replicate that across lots and lots and lots of different plots of land mm-hmm. and you do that all day and you might do that for 
you know, a week at the time. Mm-hmm. And then you come back to the offices and you spend the next two weeks trying to figure out what was there. And then they write reports from that. But I never got to the report writing stage. That's a lot to process. Yes. That is actually a lot. So Extremely different. <laughs> surveying the... How big is the land that you're surveying usually? Depends on the vegetation type. So if you're doing... Uh, it depends on how diverse the vegetation is. So mm-hmm. up north, so up in like the Pilbara, the plots, I think, I'm pretty sure, mm-hmm. and if my botany friends are listening, they might be annoyed if I get this wrong, but pretty sure it's 50 metres by 50 metres because of the the there'll be less diverse plants sorts of repeating types Mm -hmm. of plants and there might be more bare ground Mm -hmm. but then if you're somewhere like a jarrah forest down south Mm -hmm. they have so many different types of plants and in such a small area that you actually only serve survey like a 10 by 10 meter Mm -hmm. and then you repeat them in different areas to try to get an idea idea of what's there and if populations are declining. So if you went there 10 years ago and you could see that there were like 100 species of acacia and then you came back 10 years later and there's only five, you know that those species are in decline for some reason. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, polar opposite to what I do now, which is sit at a computer all day. <laughs> Although, granted, there is a lot of data entry because mm-hmm. you have to enter all the plants and like how tall they were and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. You also mentioned before that you've done an honours in botany. And as our listeners might know, whenever our guest comes on, they always talk about their honours project or their PhD project. So what was your honours project on? I really should look this up because I knew you were going to ask about this and (laughs) I can't remember. I think it was the title was around something like the efficacy of biodegradable pots in Bankshire woodland restoration Mm -hmm. and what that basically means is that I was trying to understand how using biodegradable pots would affect the planting process when you're trying to re-establish a community of plants so when you go to like a mine site or a degraded landscape and they need to try to restore it it involves large-scale planting projects so like hundreds and hundreds of plants getting planted out into the soil and when you the planting there's a few parts to this so the first part is that in the planting pro- process if you think about it, if you get a plant from bunnings you've got to pull the plant out of the plastic mm-hmm. pot and then put it in the ground mm-hmm. so in that process you are pulling something off of the root system and then putting it into the ground which is a very different environment so that's the first thing you can get some root damage from pulling the pot off if you're moving really quickly Mm. or just in the like handling process of putting it into the soil and um, sometimes they call that transplant shock so if you when you put a plant from a smaller pot into a bigger pot this can even happen if the plant dies immediately sometimes it's from transplant shock if you might have broken the roots it might be too different of an environment so that's the first part of it and the second part is that when you do these large-scale planting projects Mm. the plants you know, they're they're slow to grow to start with, like any plant, try to get established. In Australian summer, it is so hot that the only way a lot of plants, and less water, there's not a lot of rain, Mm -hmm. the only way those plants can survive is if they have long roots that go into the groundwater system. Mm -hmm. So if you've got a really small plant that's only just been put into the ground, Mm -hmm. its roots aren't able to reach the groundwater yet. So there's this combination of, if you've got a plant that's been put in from a plastic pot into mm. the ground, it's already at risk of dying from in that first summer, mm. let alone if it's also got transplant shock. So there's these biodegradable pots that already exist. Um, you can, you know, there's some in Bunnings, there's all different types of them. 
uh, the idea is that if the plant is in that biodegradable pot, you can actually just pick up the whole plant and the pot, put it in the soil, and it'll just grow. Mm-hmm. And the roots are able to either – I had two types. One, the roots were meant to be able to push out the sides of the pot. Mm-hmm. kind of looks like an egg carton. Mm-hmm. They're supposed to be able to push out the sides. And there's another one that I tried that was made of rice husks. Mm-hmm. And that had slits in the side. And the roots could just go out. But it wasn't really – they were small kind of long gaps in the, in the pot. So my project was just to kind of try to replicate in a glass house – a planting season so basically testing were their roots damaged and then I kind of got them out dried the roots and looked at them under a microscope and looked at them in all different ways to try to understand if their roots grew differently mm. because of which pot they were in and back in the day when I finished it so that would have been end of 2017 mm. I was told that Kings Park where I did my project were going to use the rice husk pot that I had suggested so that was really cool. I kind of only went into honours doing it only if it actually had impact. I wasn't really interested in spending another year studying if it didn't have a direct impact. So, yeah. Was there any moment while you were doing your honours where you thought, hmm, actually, this is not really my kind of thing? Oh, yeah. Oh, so many. I wanted to give up like a hundred times. I remember like crying on the floor because Mm -hmm. I realized I've just physically did not. I initially had a second part to my project. I had this Mm -hmm. part where I had like chopped up teeny tiny pieces of the different kind of pots Mm -hmm. and I was just measuring their breakdown over time in different soil types. Yeah, so it was like little trays of the different soils and then the little pieces of the pots in there and I was trying to measure them and honestly, I had no idea what I was doing and I kept like knocking over the pots and other people kept knocking them over because it's a shared glass house and I didn't really understand how I was supposed to analyse the data and it was just going terribly and it got to the point where I realised I did not have time to figure it out because it was essentially doubling my work Mm -hmm. and... I had to have a conversation with my supervisors where I said, I just don't have time and I have to pull out of the second part. And it was really hard because I don't think they really wanted me to not finish that half and they didn't really understand that I couldn't maybe. I don't know. It's hard to understand both sides of it, but that was a hard thing to accept that Mm -hmm. I was going to have to give that part of it up and then also to admit because you don't want to admit that you kind of flunked out of part of it Mm. um I mean it was not required to finish but yeah I there were definitely times where I thought "Mm, no I much prefer working at a a bigger team and Mm. I also maybe didn't love the research side Mm -hmm. of things it's a lot of stamina yeah so how did you, uh, for the listeners who are currently going through a research project, how did you manage your stress or like, you know, go th- get over these obstacles? Mm. Do you have any tips? I've always been a big believer because I have always studied pretty hard, but I've never given up socialising. I'm an extrovert. Mm-hmm. I need to hang out with people and that comes with its own issues but I like really really like I love going to parties I love going out to dance I at the time was doing social sport I'm pretty sure I worked casually here and there across you know every time I've studied I've like done bits and pieces of extra work even now I work full-time and volunteer so I have a really strict amount of time I'm I let myself work for so if I I remember I'd like go, okay, I'm going to write from 8am to 11am and then I'm going to have like 
a break and then I'm have lunch and then I might go for a walk and then I'll come back and do more. Like I would have really strict time and when it's time to switch it off, I'd switch it off. I don't work at night. I've never worked at night. I think I only started to during broadcasting, but I feel like that was a little bit different. But I, I would try to designate my time slots during the day to make sure that I had different things to do, whether it was exercise, see a friend, mm-hmm. any of that which is so important. I've, yeah, I think if I had have just gone, oh, I'll just get stuff done today and not given myself that structure, I would have done little bits all day and it half, kind of half-assed it the whole way through. Mm-hmm. You don't give yourself proper breaks. You have to give yourself proper breaks. You've got to make sure that everything is in balance with each other, mm-hmm. which is probably my biggest advice is if you're spending all day, every day studying, like I genuinely, I do, I do think you're doing something wrong. Like I think you need to, even if, I think you're better off copying a lower grade mm-hmm. and being happy. Like I genuinely, I've always believed that. I would rather mm-hmm. get a 70% and have gone to a party and had fun with my friends than get a 90. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's an understanding, yeah, your self-worth doesn't entirely come from your grades. That's a huge, huge, huge part of what I learned at uni. Mm-hmm. Uh, so why did you decide to make the jump from a botany field work research, very science heavy thing, to broadcasting? Like where is the connection there? I'll tell you how I got into it that mm-hmm. I was aware of and then I'll tell you what I figured out since because okay. they're two slightly different, different things. things. Okay. At the time when I was doing absolutely butt tons of <laughs> of data entry that's the best way I can describe it just days and days of data entry in the Mm -hmm. botany job I would listen to heaps of podcasts Mm. and it kind of got to the point where I was listening to podcasts and I heard someone say that they were a science journalist Mm. and I was like oh my god that's what I want to do and I do remember telling the two girls Hayley and Kelsey that I was working with I was like did you know this existed as a job this is so cool I want to do this and from then it was a process of I was I just I had already been volunteering at SciTech so I already knew I quite enjoyed science communication I already knew I always preferred oral presentations over written presentations so I knew I liked talking Mm -hmm. so I was like maybe I like podcasts so I did a podcasting course online I like happened to find one because I was already listening to podcasts Mm -hmm. and one was advertised so I thought I'll do the course and my very kind dad was like I'm going to invest in you here is some money so you can do this course because it was like, you know, a couple hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. And I did the course online. And then I went to Sydney with my mum and on a whim, I decided to contact the lady who I did the course with. And I decided to ask her like online, the, um, she's from Sydney. And I wanted to ask her if I could go into her work for a day and find out a bit more about working in that industry and so she was really kind of named Rachel Corbett she's on like the project and stuff she very kindly said yes you can come in for a day so Mm -hmm. I went in and did a day with her and then I somehow found out that you could go watch live recordings of the Tonightly with Tom Ballard Mm -hmm. that used to be on the ABC Mm -hmm. so we went into the live audience for that and I went and I met Rachel and watching the tonightly get made and seeing all these young people because the people who made it would sit in that next to you Mm -hmm. watching young people like 
commentate and make skits and stuff about what's going on in the world and what affects them and watching them watch what they'd made and seeing how excited and proud they were really inspired me and then going to meet with Rachel and her explaining how she got into it she said there was a uni course in Sydney that you could do in radio and tv and I was like oh my god I'm gonna do that that sounds great because she said you know you should do community radio and you should go back to uni I had already started at RTRFM as a volunteer. As you can tell, I like to have lots on my plate. Um, yeah, because through this time I was trying to get a job with SciTech. I was vol- just started volunteering at RTRFM as like a volunteer kind of producer, journalist type thing. And then I met up with her. She said to go to uni. The next six months were a blur of like volunteering at RTRFM. I started working for Statewide, the traveling science team for Mm -hmm. SciTech. At some point I had no work for like two months. I was just working casually for something else, like desperately trying to scrape together work. And then I found out somehow by Googling that WAPA slash ECU had this broadcasting course in Perth. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my God, that's way easier. I'll do it in Perth instead. Mm-hmm. I'd not really considered the fact that I wanted to do radio and TV before. I kind of always thought I'd just do podcasting and I didn't really think about it. But as I read further into it, I thought, no, this is actually really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And so I emailed and they're like, oh, we're actually already doing auditions next week. So you'll have to come in next week and try to do it. And despite having one of the least conventional pathways into that postgrad, my unit coordinators took a chance on me and let me into the course. So basically it was getting tiny. I decided to make the change because I was inspired by podcasts and then I got little tastes of the industry. And every single time I learned more, I got super excited, which was something that I hadn't felt about botany for a really Mm -hmm. long time. Looking back, I've always done drama. Mm-hmm. I've always loved doing presentations. All my highest marks have always been in presentations. I did a science communication unit and loved it. I'd been a volunteer at SciTech forever. I was obsessed with Hamish and Andy when I was mm-hmm. a kid. If you look back, it kind of all points in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, so it actually makes a lot more sense than you think it does. It sounds like a huge leap, but I think for people like my parents who've seen me across all of those things, it probably wasn't as big of a surprise. It almost sounds like it was like, your calling as people say <laughs> you found your calling it definitely makes me feel like good inside when I mm-hmm. do that work and feels like yeah I don't know it's still scary it's still mm-hmm. hard work but it it definitely it makes me very happy so obviously there was a moment where you realized that you weren't enjoying botany uh, research as much as you were expecting to how did that feel oh terrible so bad oh so bad it's like and it was at a time where I had a lot of stuff going on in my personal life Mm -hmm. as well and just like the realization I don't know it just felt bad it felt it made me like I suffered really badly with anxiety and like to some degree depression as well I just was so miserable I did that thing I read about recently where I think they call it revenge sleeping where you stay up really really late because you don't want to go to work the next day and so you stay up really late because you're trying to steal your free time back and do things that you like but Mm -hmm. that means the next day you feel like really gross because you didn't sleep properly so I was doing a lot of that and 
I just, yeah, it, it was pretty hard and I had to keep going on field works and field work and keep working because I was desperate to finish that three month contract. So I knew I could leave. Yeah. For anyone going through that kind of change, it's, yeah, I've got all the empathy in the world for it. It just feels bad. That mm-hmm. just does. And then when I left, I didn't, I had a casual job to go to, which was in science communication, mm. not with SciTech, but with someone else. And, um, but it still was not, it wasn't a full-time wage. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was very lucky that, like, I know if things got really bad, like, I can lean on my parents if I absolutely had to. But I was lucky I had savings from the three months of working full time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, it was a yucky realisation. Did mm-hmm. not enjoy. I think, I think looking back, it's kind of similar to when you realise that, like, a relationship isn't working. Mm-hmm. Very similar feeling where you're like, oh, God, all this investment. Mm-hmm. As a side note, though, although it's describing something horrible that you should probably avoid doing, revenge sleep, the term, <laughs> is incredibly fun. I think that's what it's called. I'm going to, okay. like, look it up, but I'm pretty sure that's what it's called. Okay. It's so just, true, though. <laughs> it is. Except you're doing, like, revenge on, on yourself. yourself. Yeah. At kind of your employees. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> yeah. 100%. I do it even when I'm just stressed. Mm. I'll end up staying up later because I'll be determined to have relaxing time. Mm-hmm. Problem is you need to sleep. Mm-hmm. Yes. I'm saying this so that I can like listen back and have to force myself to sleep better. <laughs> I've got a terrible it's sleep. It's so button. inconvenient how like to have a healthy life oh. and a happy life. You have to sleep. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Mike said it in that episode recently where he was like, imagine if you could work for 24 mm-hmm. hours a day. Just imagine. Just think of all the things that you would achieve. Yeah. Or just enjoy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because sometimes you can't even go out to have fun because you're so tired. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Mm. So how important is volunteering? Because you seem to have been doing a lot of it yeah. in com- combining mm. RTR and Fringe Festival. Yeah, and SciTech back in the day as well. Oh, yes. So yeah, I've technically been a volunteer for different things since, like regularly, regularly, regularly since <laughs> 2017. So four years I've been doing volunteering in some way shape or form mm-hmm. um I really like volunteering I think it has to be a two-way street you need to get something out of it even if it's just your own like you feel good from helping people I think you need <coughs> to get something out of it um in order to contribute well mm-hmm. I think yeah I think it's more sustainable if there's that two-way street like with SciTech I was developed both SciTech and RTRFM I was developing skills and then also can then in turn contributing those skills back into the organization mm. and yeah I think volunteering is really important because lots of different pe- types of people volunteer mm-hmm. so I guess at both SciTech and RTRFM there's people who are retirees mm-hmm. there's people who uh, don't work for whatever reason um there's lots of different reasons. Um, there's students who are trying to develop skills. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so all around, you just meet so many different kinds of people who are motivated by lots of different things and come from all different backgrounds. Because usually volunteers, you know, maybe you're not technically qualified to work in it. Mm-hmm. So people are coming at it from different experience levels and things like that. It's also important in broadcasting, mm-hmm. like... In broadcasting, I mean, you probably know this, like, you've had to have done your time. People look upon community radio really well. If you're interested in communications, go to community radio, no matter where it is. Like, I chose RTR because I love alternative music, I love local music, and that's a huge focus for them. So that was a no-brainer. But 
you get such a huge amount of experience and there's so much more leeway and people can teach you and things like that. So for fundamental like skill development and even just for testing out if you like an industry, volunteering is good. I think you have to be careful of being used. I think some places, I like don't really have any examples, but you hear about places where you've just worked for free like free internships for ages and it's just Mm -hmm. like free labor for years and years and years and years which is fine if it's a it's a non-for-profit and it's a community organization and you're giving something to a community that's fine but companies that have like like for-profit companies like like those kinds Mm -hmm. of places be careful not to be used Mm -hmm. but I think that you know you've got to cut your teeth somewhere and Mm -hmm. sometimes you've got to prove that you're dedicated to an organization so yeah and it's nice to give back Mm -hmm. I love doing stuff with RTR and like the interactions you have with listeners and actually feeling like people are listening because they want to listen or in the science center when I used to present and you'd have an absolutely beautiful interaction with a family Mm. like that feels awesome it's I really enjoy knowing that I give some of my free time to other people like that just feels good This podcast is proudly made by the Particle team. And this one-off episode was presented and produced by me, Zaya Altengirul. This week, filming and videography was done by Rockwell Magellan. And of course, the bespoke illustration was created by Michael Gatt. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe, leave a comment and share it with a friend. We so appreciate all the love. Uh, so, in preparation for this interview, I did a little bit of Googling of Rose Kerr and to my surprise, to Rocky's surprise as well, who's sitting behind the camera right now, you were on 6PR. Oh yeah, I was. Doing a little <laughs> science Yeah, I forgot stint. about that. <laughs> and you had like a little I um, did, yeah. podcast things. Yeah, it was live. It was actually live. It's a podcast now because it's online, which kind of goes back to our definition Mm -hmm. of podcast, but it's not like available on podcasting apps or anything. It's actually just um, a segment that was on the radio. Mm -hmm. And there's this like, it was like a late night show. And one of my unit coordinators, well, not unit coordinators, one of my lecturers at uni, it was like my first week and he came up to me and he was like, "You, you did science, didn't you? And I was like, yeah. He said, you want to do talk back? And I'd never been mm-hmm. in, oh, I'd been into a radio station once before when I was like 12. But mm-hmm. aside from that, I'd never been in a station. And 6PR is pretty big in Perth. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was like, yeah, do you think you could do it? And then a few months later, they brought me on and it was an hour and people could call up and ask questions. Mm-hmm. I think I did three. Mm-hmm. The first one, crazy fun because all of my classmates mm-hmm. listened in uh, and called. What I didn't know is that you could watch it. Like they were streaming it. I didn't realize they had cameras. And so my friend Holly was like <laughs> watching me and being like, it's like watching Rose on like Big Brother because she didn't know I was there. Um, but all my friends called in and put on funny voices and asked me questions. Mm-hmm. So that was really fun. Um, and then the other two sessions was mainly just me and the presenter and then the occasional person called in with questions. Mm-hmm. So you weren't, um, they didn't call pre pre-record um, and say no ask this question no I was all live so how do you do that as like how do you know like what was it like uh, having to answer scientific questions on the fly yeah it wasn't so we could kind of guide because the it's not as much like Dr. Carl's section on Triple J where people call up with 
really specific questions. Mm -hmm. It was more like I'd kind of give a list of things that I'd read to the presenter and he would start talking about them and so we could kind of guide people's questions in that way. Mm -hmm. And if I didn't know the answer, we'd open it to to discussion uh, just between me and the other presenter. I'm, Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I'm not, sometimes I just didn't know the answer. If, for example, it's medical, I've got no idea and I'm pretty unwilling to pretend like I have an idea. But if mm-hmm. because they knew that I had an environmental background, we'd start talking about the environment to start with or we'd just start talking about science in general and scientists and things like that. And so those questions were kind of a bit more open to interpretation. So, yeah, it was pretty scary, the full hour of being there. It was also at 9 p.m. at night, which is not my clearest thinking time. <laughs> and it was quite early on in my radio career. Mm-hmm. So I have not listened back. I'd probably be really nervous to listen <laughs> back and find out that they still exist. Um, so I haven't really, like, even though, like, we literally sit next to each other in the office, I haven't really asked you this question before. But I heard a rumour that you interned with Dr. Carl, (laughs) who's on Triple J, for people who don't know. And he's like a science communication. Well, he's like the poster person for science comms in Australia. How did that happen? I am very good at talking to people, even when I don't know them, and asking them for favours slash befriending them. This actually goes way back to 2016, I think, which when you look back... How did I not know that I wanted to do this? So it was 2016. I watched Dr. Carl talk. He talked at my university. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the talk, uh, <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so he was outside um, after the talk. And I went up to him and I was like, I really like science communication. but I'm st- And I'm studying science at the moment. What should I do? And he said community radio. But I just didn't do anything about it because I was like, eh, I'm studying. I'm not doing any kind of extra work right now Mm -hmm. I should say that when I was at university I never I didn't really volunteer for anything except for one day sorts of things because Mm -hmm. study was you know what I was there for and that was enough unpaid work (laughs) Um, uh, and he said to do radio then in 2019 when I was doing work I was already studying so I was Mm -hmm. studying I went to a talk he gave a talk as part of a festival um, in the library and I went and watched him talk and he was hanging around afterwards and signing books. So I took a book for him to sign and I said to him, hey, I'm actually a science communicator because it was X amount of years since. I'm a science communicator. I'm studying broadcasting. Um, Do you have any advice or anything? And he ended up giving me his business card and saying, give me a call. We can organise work experience. Mm. Um, And then I kind of called and chased it up and he ended up giving me two days to follow him around, which... Turns out he does for heaps of people if you're interested in it mm-hmm. um, and you can get in contact with him. He's really like supportive and nice about it. I mean, I mean, obviously it depends on if you can get to the place and if he's free and if he has the time. But when I was there, there was first day it was just me. Second day it was me and like two other people. Mm-hmm. So what was the behind the scenes like? For- Intense. And like he's so busy. Mm-hmm. He's so busy. I think the first day was so he's like across the ABC and the uni so I think the first day he was doing I don't know he's just got lots of appointments with Mm. schools giving talks he's got all his radio stuff Mm -hmm. um somehow yeah he's able to to bridge it all together and make it into 
because he's kind of it's just him it's not like he's got like you know how we come to work and we do work for a day Mm -hmm. he has lots and lots of different commitments and they kind of all blend into a week I guess Mm -hmm. so when you say you were shadowing Dr. Carl were you literally just like watching him do things or were you actively helping out and doing stuff Uh, Because it was only two days, I pretty much shadowed him. Mm -hmm. But he told me if I ever knew the answer to a question, I could jump in. But I was way too scared to do that. I was way too scared. Mm -hmm. We did do one session where he was doing a Skype question-answer session with some kids. And um, uh, he gave me the microphone to answer a few questions, which was really hard because... I have such an like I do have quite a niche knowledge of science with mm-hmm. like if I'm given a paper I can turn that into something that people can understand like as a science communicator but I don't just know it off the top of my head like he does mm-hmm. um so it, when they weren't botany questions it was pretty hard mm-hmm. um but yeah it was still really 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 cool so working in you know working alongside you in SciTech and Particle the word science communication gets thrown around a lot oh so much um what the heck is it yeah well how do you define science communication oh. what is science communication that's such a good question and you know what's funny i have no oh i don't really understand why but i prefer science journalist as opposed to science communication mm-hmm. and i think that's purely because i worked at the center as a science communicator for me because i'm a broadcast science communicator mm-hmm. i think that's very different to a science communicator in say a museum or maybe for specific organisations. I'm not totally sure on that one yet because mm-hmm. I'm still kind of new to it. I mean, I've only really been in science communication. I volunteered in 2017, but in terms of being, like, qualified, um, I mean, I've only been – I've only finished uni at the end of 2019, so I've only mm-hmm. been in the industry for, like, max two years. Um, yeah, for me, science communication is just about explaining a scientific topic to an audience – of who don't know about the topic and sometimes that's to other scientists sometimes that's to members of the public sometimes that's to children sometimes that's to school groups sometimes that's to like an audience through art maybe that's you know lots and lots and lots of different things but I think yeah it kind of comes down to the crux of it from breaking down science into another form Mm -hmm. whatever that may be for me I like science journalist because it kind of pays a bit I think it's because it pays a bit more tribute to the fact that I am qualified to work in broadcasting um I have two separate qualifications which is science and I have a graduate diploma in broadcasting so for me those two things combined is science journalism and I almost don't even feel fair sometimes saying science communication because it's it's yeah I've worked in it I never studied it specifically mm-hmm. no one ever taught me how to be a science communicator in an education format if you could choose okay. what is the one thing that you absolutely love about science working in science <gasps> oh that's a great question I think it's actually the same thing that I really, really, really love about broadcasting. So yeah. sorry if that's your follow-up question, uh, which is the, the like ongoing threat of learning something new. <laughs> the I, ongoing yeah, threat. I like that around every corner there's something new to learn and that's something that when I was kind of pitching myself as a broadcaster when I first started getting into it and when I applied for uni was just being like, I'm a real curious person. I need to know why things are the way Mm -hmm. that they are. And that both drives people in broadcasting or just doing interviews 
and also doing science. Like yeah. I just love learning and finding out more about both people and plants. Mm-hmm. And on the flip side, what is the <laughs> one thing that you hate about science? Oh, good question. I wanted to think of I want to think of one that I've got a good example for. Um, this is such a strangely specific thing that I hated, but part of my honors was washing the roots of the plants that I had grown and that Mm -hmm. sucked it was the middle of winter Mm -hmm. uh so and you had to have them under running water and my hands were like cracking because of how cold and sore they were and trying to wash these roots and also it's the most ridiculous thing in the world to have to wash roots of a plant and like sometimes they'd break off I was really careful that they didn't but like it meant that my results weren't going to be as good so I think something that I hate is sometimes the processes to get data just seems so bizarre Mm -hmm. and like really time consuming and quite unpleasant to do so yeah I I hate root washing (laughs) in botany such a stupid task Mm -hmm. but yeah on a on a personal note that would be what I hated about science what is the process of root washing? Is that like when you grab the little hose head thing and then you're just literally spraying the dirt off the roots? Pretty much. I mean, I'm sure there's like a hundred different processes of how to do it, but I had a sieve, like imagine almost like you're like gold rush era, like washing <laughs> rocks. I would have that, I'm trying to visualize it in my head. I had that and then I had, so it was like a giant sieve and then I had the plant on top of it and I would have chopped it off at the top of the roots where it connected to the plant and then I just have the roots and then I'd like gently like have running water and I'd kind of just like rub my hands. Sorry, I moved the microphone. Mm-hmm. I gently just like rub my hands along the roots while the water was on there and it would kind of like wash off the soil. Mm-hmm. And then I had to, yeah, bag them, chop them to certain lengths and then so I could get an idea of the amount of roots that had grown in each length category and mm-hmm. then put them under this like scanning machine that would almost look like a photocopier you put the lid down it would scan the roots and i'd get the computer analysis of how Mm. much roots were there that all sounded weirdly sensual right (laughs) before you got to the chopping part i was thinking like oh this is sensual then there was a chop chop (laughs) yeah i think yeah i think that what that comes down to and it's so funny because there's so many like tedious tasks you have Mm -hmm. to do in editing but there was something about having to do tedious tasks that were also physical that had physical things like my hands getting sore Mm -hmm. uh, that I really yeah really hated on the flip side what is the one thing that you hate about broadcast journalism I hate fear-mongering in articles Mm. I hate when places write articles and I noticed it so much with COVID don't get me wrong let people know the severity of the situation. Let them know it's serious. Let them know that they need to be concerned. But there's a certain level of deliberately producing work that generates fear in an audience and feeds off that fear for the sake of clicks. That just makes me so cross. From a science perspective, when it is a science topic or a health topic, mm. putting fear in people for the sake of it, I'm not a fan. Mm. And that's quite a dangerous thing to do as well because it feeds people's natural um natural tendency to be a little bit xenophobic yeah yeah which is fine for survival but there's a limit yeah so if you could make any podcast whatever (gasps) podcast you wanted to make what would it be oh my god do you know the worst part my brain immediately went it's me and harry styles having a chat every day (laughs) (laughs) i mean Okay, okay, how's this? I go to a celebrity's house 
and get to hang out with them for like a week and I get to live see what their life is like I'm obsessed with knowing how like other people live their lives I think that's why I watch so much YouTube um and I would like to do that with like on my list would be like Harry Styles Louis Theroux Theroux (laughs) however you say it um I'd like to follow around the Queen, mm-hmm. um, Billie Eilish, mm. and maybe like Greta Thunberg. Mm. Quite a right wide variety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Lizzo. Yes. Yeah. Of course, you can't forget Lizzo. Yeah. <laughs> and I don't know why. I'd want to know what Scott Morrison does in a day. <laughs> <laughs> I want to know. So, if you were asked to uh, name a new plant species, what name would you give it? Mm, It would be really hard because I can't name a plant after myself because my name is Rose. Mm -hmm. So, that just doesn't work. (laughs) Rocky's laughing. I'm really pleased with that. It's true, though. (laughs) I can't. It just doesn't work. Hmm. I would definitely give it... Like, when I look at plants and I point at plants, I go like, oh, look at the cute little pink thing. Look at it. Look at the, like, cute little yellow boy. Like, I'd want to give it a name. There's a lot of Latin names that directly translate kind of into, like, yellow small petal. And I would like to give it that kind of name Mm -hmm. and translate it. I don't know whether it needs to go back into Latin. It probably would because it's, like, Mm -hmm. Latin names, the scientific names. But I would give it something really generic that's really easy to understand. Mm -hmm. Um that kind of just describes it in the most cute way possible. All right, and we're coming down to the questionable question segment, <laughs> which, as we know, is our favourite section oh, of the yeah. podcast. And I should say, a lot of these questions normally come from you, Zaya. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your strength is the strange question. Yes. Um, so when I was going through the questionable questions thing and I was trying to think of questions, I was like, botany, botany, yeah. plant, broadcast, talking. And then I was like, if you could choose to have a piece of plant like yes. attached to your body Ooh. to use as arms or legs, what plant would you choose? That's cool. Okay. Try to think of what would be more useful. For clarification, I think my mind went there because a lot of plants crawl up. Oh, like, like a grab. Creep. Yeah, yeah, things. yeah. Because that's initially what I thought of, was maybe I'd like some kind of vine arms. Mm -hmm. But now I'm kind of leaning towards like, hmm, a bit left of centre as a choice. Mm -hmm. I've always loved the idea of being a mermaid. Yes, of course, everybody does. Seagrass is really, really cool Mm -hmm. because it's able to do things like take in carbon and be good for the environment mm-hmm. if i could have seagrass for legs i could be both a mermaid and be really good for the environment yes you got the best of both worlds yeah All i right. would have to move to the ocean mm-hmm. and live in the ocean but i think that's a sacrifice i'm willing to make for the good of the mm-hmm. world you never know you might meet a friendly crab called sebastian yes <laughs> the dream Who's better, plants or people? (gasps) 
my mind initially went to people because people can tell you about the plants plants can't tell you about the people but then I just thought you know what people have done so many bad things to the plants I think the plants are probably fundamentally better than people plants plants okay actually speaking of people doing bad things to plants Looking at all the movies, yes. plants can do plenty of bad things to people. <laughs> what, is, what are some of the plants in Australia that you know of that we should actively avoid? Oh, I mean, I wouldn't. There's this one plant that makes, it's called gomphalobium, is the like genus name. Mm-hmm. It's a type of pea plant. It is used to make 1080 bait for Mm. i think foxes i think 1080 is used for so it's actually poisonous Mm -hmm. so i guess probably definitely avoid that one because you probably die if you ate it it's good though because it's like this poison that only affects um introduced species and Mm -hmm. um, pests because native species have developed a natural immunity Mm -hmm. so yeah definitely avoid that and other than that avoid touching any kind of like acacia so a wattle or a hakea similar looking because they're really really spiky mm-hmm. yeah i always advocate for native plants in backyards but do be careful not to pick super spiky ones because there's a lot what happens if you touch the spiky ones it just hurts oh, <laughs> it just really you're hurts. not gonna like fall asleep for a thousand no, years no 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 it just really hurts Earlier on in this chat, you mentioned that in high school, you realized you prefer plants over animals. Yes. What's up with that? Why? (laughs) Uh, I think it came from plants hold a lot more. I don't know. Plants like hold all these secrets, you know, like it does. It literally looks like an inanimate object. Like it looks like it's doing nothing. Like it just sits there. But there's so much going into it. There's so much animals They'll just move around if they can't live in the right place. Plants are stuck there. They're stuck in that place. You see plants coming out of like cliff faces, one still managing to grow out of ice. Like that fascinates me. Um, And yeah, and I think I also preferred the idea of working with plants because I'm pretty grossed out by pretty much any kind of animal stuff. They're cute. Mm-hmm. they're cuddly mm-hmm. they're just really interesting i'll always love like learning more about animals but at studying animals does unfortunately involve a lot of like dissections having them in you know captivity like you know ethics people you know have to get ethics approval and i'm not saying animal scientists do terrible things but it's just a lot easier to work with plants it's not as yuck um and i think they're fascinating because they look like they're doing nothing but they're actually just doing so much okay i'll also add that plants are kind of everywhere it's harder Mm. to spot an animal on a purely practical level it is much easier to revisit a site and see if a tree is still there than it is to go back and try to find a possum this is true so much easier true and as you have warned me, plants don't actively come and attack you. No. They're not hunting you. No. Just, if you happen to eat them. Uh, That's a you problem. <laughs> <laughs> so as I mentioned at the start of the podcast, you have done over 32 interviews with different scientists around WA. Who has been your favorite guest? That is so hard. That's not fair. You have to choose one. Oh my goodness. <laughs> my favorite guest. Oh my goodness. I'm trying to think of who I would have had the most fun with. 
Mm, see, there's a temptation here to put, pick someone from really far back so everyone has to go back and make sure they've listened. I think the interview that I enjoyed the most was with Christian Peterson. So he was the one who studied, uh, who is a sound engineer Mm -hmm. because I had questions about sound engineering and sound technicians for like two years and I'd never had them answered. And then having met him and just going on this wild ride of not knowing like what he does and how it works and he's super super animated and really excited by what he Mm -hmm. does so I think that one's got a special place in my heart especially because I find it I think it's so important to remind people that science looks different in different industries and Mm -hmm. sound technicians and sound engineers are definitely sound scientists Um, so getting to highlight that was awesome and plus like hearing about traveling with Cirque du Soleil so cool (laughs) so cool it was yeah very unexpected had a lot of fun um and yeah he's a lovely guy so probably mm-hmm. christian okay and to expand on that and go a little bit meta what is the favorite question that you like to ask Ooh. your guests on the podcast that's a really really good question i think i like asking people what keeps them motivated Mm-hmm. because or like kind of asking questions around have you ever wanted to give up because I think that kind of reveals someone's actual reason for studying what they study mm. um, because it either reveals that when they were a kid they've always wanted to work in it or it reveals that they are really driven by a different purpose maybe it's conservation maybe mm. it's helping people um, or if they're driven by just like the pure wanting to know more. So yeah, I think that one's a really fun one because it opens up the opportunity to talk a bit more personally if they want to, or just to reflect on their own pathway and where they are now. Well, in that case, what motivates you? Definitely people's stories. It's like I said earlier, I love finding out something new. And so um, getting to what motivates me is like finding out something more about someone else's life. Mm -hmm. The more people that I meet and I figure out where different people fit in the world, just like I feel happier every time I get to find out more. So I think what motivates me is the idea of finding a story, which fortunately lends itself to both science and broadcasting because science is driven by trying to find answers and you know, science communication, journalism, whatever you want to call it, is also driven by wanting to find a story to tell. Mm-hmm. It's also just really fun. Like, I genuinely just, like, have fun finding stuff out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Who do you think is going to win this year's Triple J's Horace Oh, the most important question. <laughs> you know, the worst thing about this is it'll be out by the time. We will know yes. if I'm correct. And people are going <gasps> to judge you. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so hard. I'm going to go ahead and say it's so hard because the ones that I voted for are going to be really close to the top. I oh, okay. I'm going to go. <laughs> <laughs> it's because I, I listened to Triple J so much during lockdown mm-hmm. and because like I'd looked at warm tuners so I think I knew in the back of my head that what oh. was going to be high up and I wanted to boost some. Look, I'm going to go with my heart. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's so I like 
I this is how people must feel about having sport people like sport things and teams win things because <laughs> there's two okay I love glass animals okay if you're listening and you have not listened to glass animals or spacey jane you need to listen to both of them they're very different they're amazing I'm gonna say I think the winner will be booster seat by spacey jane that's a little bit of me wanting them to win because they're from WA and they're lovely people and I think that their music this year was kind of a little bit melancholic but definitely still has this like like this band sing-along kind of like Sunday afternoon Sunday Mm -hmm. sesh kind of vibe to it and I think it really sums up where music production in kind of WA is at the moment and they're a local band so I think they might just tip glass animals and maybe win but Honestly, I'll be happy with either. So, yeah, I'm going to say Booster Seats, Spacey Jane. We will find out if I am correct. We will see. When it comes to the science communications or science journalism space, why do you think it's important? Why should people care about communicating science to people? Luckily, thanks to Miss Rona, um, coronavirus, uh, I think Mike called it five and two the other day on the podcast. Not sure if that one's catching on, but um, because luckily because of coronavirus, the whole COVID pandemic, people have had a lot more of an understanding of why science is important. You need to have scientists uh, as a way to find out answers Unfortunately, sometimes scientists aren't always the best at then explaining that information to an audience. So at the crux of it, science communication is important to make sure that people get the correct information and there's no ambiguity. We all know fake news is a huge problem. There's people saying just complete and utter rubbish all the time. Mm -hmm. And so it's really important that we have science science communicators that the public trust Mm-hmm. because without that level of trust how do you separate science communication and facts from fake news and stuff that's just completely untrue so yeah i mean it, it does come down to that fundamental thing and the only way you can get people to believe in a cause is if they actually understand what's really going on like climate change for example like if it's not communicated effectively how can you expect people to care and want to make change and now for the fun facts section. Yay! And obviously because you come from two very different worlds, I have asked you to bring a fun fact from both of those worlds. Yes. I'm going to start with the broadcasting one because mm-hmm. I know that you already know this and I don't like that you already know this because this is why my like one of my favorite fun facts to tell people <laughs> about broadcasting mm-hmm. um, which so I'm just gonna I'm sharing it with you the audience I'm not sharing it with Zaya it's not for her she already knows this um, when you watch an interview especially with like quite um, famous interviewees if say we're sitting you mm-hmm. know Zara and I are sitting facing each other we've got two cameras one's on a two shot so me and Zaya one's on a single shot just on me and mm-hmm. I've just realized that and I've just remembered how uncomfortable <laughs> that can be I've just remembered and thought about how many weird faces I've pulled but um, you sometimes if you only have one camera for whatever reason whether it be maybe the host isn't actually there or maybe because you've only got one camera, you then have to record noddies. And I just think that is the funniest thing in the world that 
in, if we film just me, just me to the camera, that you would have to sit there then and do some fake nods. Mm-hmm. Do some fake, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. yeah. You know, <laughs> do those fake noddies so then we can piece together an interview mm-hmm. even though we were never either in the same room or maybe we only shot one half of the interview. Like, I just find that so funny. And definitely when you're watching an interview on things like 60 Minutes. Actually, does that even still run? I think 60 Minutes is on TV anymore. You see a lot of noddies on... Um celebrities doing movie promos yes you do especially like you'll be able to see them on youtube videos and things Mm -hmm. you did a good little nod there if Mm -hmm. i was making noddies i think that's a good (laughs) noddy so yeah that's my broadcasting fun fact my botany fun fact i literally brought notes for because i didn't want to get it wrong okay so a lot of people when they think about um plants and vegetation in australia think about how they're determined by the weather so and the climate so the temperature and the rainfall and things like that but what people often forget is that the soil type really changes what plants are where so if you think about wa Mm. down the bottom you've got this kind of rich darker colored soil i know where my parents live it's like a sandy black soil then as you move up north you get that beautiful iron rich soil Mm -hmm. in the very top half that red soil so different plants grow in different areas in Australia, especially in WA, we have really nutrient poor soil. And so that has determined that the only plants that we can have in those nutrient poor soils are ones that have adapted to it. Mm-hmm. So my fun fact is about a really iconic Australian plant, the wattle, the acacia, the ones with the little yellow balls. Mm-hmm. Never grab one of those. They like the actual branch, they're covered in spikes. But what's really cool about acacias, they're a part of the pea plant family, which means that they have a special symbiotic relationship underground with bacteria. So yeah, it's pretty cool. It's like Australian plants have all these really, really, really cool ways of getting nutrients. So we've had Laura come and talk about carnivorous plants. They eat bugs and things like animals or whatever. So then they can get nutrients they can't get from the soil. Wattles and acacias, same thing, wattles slash acacias, in their root system, they form a symbiotic relationship with a bacteria that's able to take atmospheric nitrogen, so Mm -hmm. just like free roaming nitrogen, and turn it into something that the plant can take up. So on the roots, if you ever dug up an acacia plant, if you look really carefully at the roots, you can see these little like nodule-y things, like little like We've, yeah, nodules, like root nodules of mm-hmm. bacteria. They're kind of like little blobs. Mm-hmm. And they are able to like suck in the nitrogen and then it gets fed. They're actually attached to the roots that gets fed mm-hmm. into the plant. In return, the plant makes sugars when it's like, um, when mm-hmm. it's respiring, uh, when it's photosynthesizing and making sugars, it then feeds it back into the bacteria so they have this relationship so even on things like gardening australia there's videos of this if you look it up and you want to see them but yeah basically they have these bacteria fixing root nodules on the bottom of acacias Mm -hmm. one of you know australia's most iconic plants so yeah soil affects what plants grow where wonderful (laughs) (laughs) um it was lovely talking to you thank you zaya thank you for for doing it and thank you for hosting our podcast for over a year thank you sad to see you go yeah it kind of breaks my heart but you know i'm excited to do some new things and have some new challenges Mm. thanks for listening to the particle podcast 
You can find more of our content on all of the socials, as well as at particle.scitech.org.au. Particle is powered by SciTech, and everything we make is made on the wonderful science hub that is Western Australia, on Wadjuk country.